Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there's Steve. Howdy. And today we're back hitting the books with uh, Flatlander by David Niven. Yeah. Who recommended this crap? Uh, that would be you. I'm kidding. I love Larry Niven. Well, that's what we're here to talk about. Uh, give us a little background on the book there, Steve. So it's uh, basically a collection of uh, short stories. They're all uh, variations on locked door mysteries um, or locked room mysteries featuring the character Gilbert Gilgamesh Hamilton, um, known as Gil the Arm. That's right. They they take place in the not too distant future. So just there's just enough science fiction to uh, make it interesting. That's right. So we've basically gone from uh, a brutal authoritarian state of the distant past to a brutal authoritarian state in the not so distant future. Yes. That's pretty much pretty much what's going on. Yep. You want to talk about you want to talk about Judge Dredd? I mean, shit, jaywalking. That's the Oregon Banks for you, pal. Yeah. So I, it's actually it's funny that I think a lot of that um, that wow, there's a wasp in here. Weird. A lot of that tongue in cheek um, authoritarianism of Judge Dredd was taken from um, these books. There's some very, very big similarities. Yeah, but there wasn't this book like, or at least the edition we read was 95, right? Yes, but so these, um, these stories t- were written, I think Death by Ecstasy was written in 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the last one, The Woman in in Delray Carter was written in 95. Don't quote me on that. But I do know that they're in order of, of when they were published. That's right. And the woman in Delray Crater is basically Niven kissing his publisher's ass. <laughs> well, so... Because it was what? a Delray edition. <laughs> Well, they were talking about uh, Lester Del Rey. It was they said it was named after Lester Del Rey, right? The um, the author publisher. Yeah. So, um, what was I going to say? Oh, so now a caveat on this is I like Larry Niven's earlier <clears throat> stories much more than anything he wrote after, say, nineteen ninety. That's my caveat. Um, I think that's like your caveat with everything, though. Yeah, well, I think that his writing suffered uh, later on. <clears throat> I think maybe that the science and what he understood about science um, got too complicated, and it, it it went from like pretty reasonable hard science to um, ridiculous hard science later on. Right. And, that, and, and I think his writing style changed. Um, one thing about Larry Niven is he wrote with practically everybody. He's like written books with practically everybody. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of like changed him, man. <laughs> so just my personal preference, I don't like his later, his later books that he wrote on his own. Now, that being said, some of the stuff he's done with other people that were later on in his career are pretty good books. So mm-hmm. it, it's, um, it's very strange. Larry Niven's like that guy. He's like that drummer who played with everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I know uh, we we picked this particular book because of uh, because of Gulick and in the Judge D books that mm-hmm. we were comparing basically celebrated cases to the way uh, Gulick wrote the his own takes on the Judge D mysteries and then later comparing them with something a little sci fi. But uh, still in that grand um, tradition of the of the detective novel. Uh huh. Where um, where where would you put this? I mean, this is the first Niven I've ever read. Okay. Um. It, coincidentally, it is among the first that I have ever read. Way back a long time ago. Well. A period. <laughs> <laughs> um, where would I put this in terms of um, rookies uh, to David Niven? These are probably more fringy um, because they they are uh, very early in the timeline of of his his uh, continuity called known space. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a hundred years from now. All these take place like in the uh, 2120s mm-hmm. more or less. So it's the not too distant future as opposed to stuff like ring world or the uh, Beowulf Schaefer uh, books or stories that take place farther into the future when um, the, the, the whole, so <clears throat> one of the big things about this, this, um, collection is organ legging mm-hmm. is um, the predominant device plot device that gets Gill involved in these mysteries because he is he is um arm the arm is a um it's the UN police force basically the amalgamated shit uh, amalgamated Regional militias. There we go. Right. And Which, I'm not sure what that the fuck that's supposed to mean. <laughs> well, they're tasked with um, making sure that the birthright um, controls are, are in place. They're tasked with uh, making sure <clears throat> that technology isn't uh, dangerous. Right, <laughs> and they're tasked with uh, curtailing organ legging, which is uh, killing, kidnapping, and killing people and harvesting their organs for profit. Right, right. Waking up in a bathtub with one of your kidneys missing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> which also is funny. Uh, that is a huge thing in some earlier Judge Dread plots. Mm. Um, but. Uh, the 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 known space books that more people are familiar with, um, organ lighting isn't 
an um an issue anymore because now they have longevity drugs. Right. So his continuity evolves over the time period. It's 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 really well thought out. It's it's one of the better um, internal consistencies in these. Although, really, you know, the organ legging thing only factors into the first two stories. You know, you get to the third story, uh, just titled Arm. Um, that's just a standard locked room murder mystery. Um, Except for the, the fact that, that it's implied it. science. Yeah. So, so well, you know, no, the, well, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything, but organ leg. Organ legging does have a lot to do with with the resolution of that mystery. Yeah, kinda, kinda. It's 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 there, but it's not the main thrust like the first two stories. Um, right. The third story or fourth story, Patchwork Girl, uh, has nothing to do with organ legging. It has uh, that's to do with true. the regulation of. Organ banks and inter space politics. Inter, I guess. I guess we're still confined to the same solar system. So inner yes. inner solar system politics. Uh, kind of, but once again, uh, the it depends on how you define organ legging because I would say that one of the policies that they were debating was. Um, well, we'll get into that later. <laughs> right. If you're if you are supposed to be held in the in the tanks, so to speak, for twenty years, while appeals and whatnot are are made mm-hmm. about your case, and they gank you early because of a you know because of a, a dire need, that's breaking the law. It's still organ legging. That's still organ legging. Really, the only one that really had nothing to do with organ legging at all was the last story, the woman in Delray Carter. Crater. I keep on saying Carter, but it's Crater. Yeah, but that one that one's like all tech. Yeah. But even even then. Alright, so where do you want to start with the discussion of this book here? Well, what are your overall impressions of it? Not impressed. Um <laughs> not. <laughs> to be honest with you, he was it was almost like he was trying to do that noir detective thing, but it it everything was too clean. Um and the the world building was done so much in like guys discussing fucking legal minutia and shit that it got tedious. Especially in that fourth story where the my finer points of the inter, you know, the, the treaties between the Belters, the Lumnies, and the Earth people, they, he, he did not need to go with a play-by-play uh, of that meeting. And these, like, characters that really never showed up anywhere but these scenes, for the most part. I disagree. I disagree. I think he did it for for two reasons. Uh, I think the first reason he did it was so you would have more suspects. And I think the second reason he did it was because the solution to the mystery was... A total ass pull. 
it was not an ass poll because you didn't pay attention to what they were talking about in those meetings because it had everything to do with what was discussed in those meetings. No, the the whole, the reasons behind it, but the solution to the mystery was wasn't as much of an ass pull as the as the third story. That was a total ass pull. He had painted himself into a damn corner in that one, and had to come up with something to to make it work, and with no indication that the MacGuffin. Of there the was story. an indication. There, there was an no. indication, though. Yes, he's talking about uh, the. He had they had given them the device. So the, let, let's just the second story or the third story, arm, arms, the better, which is a better story, involves um, a murder that happened in a stasis field, and this this uh, stasis field was um, it was more of a time it, dialation it, field. Yeah, it was it was a prototype for um, a faster ramjet engine to uh, to for space travel. And the way it worked is it it slowed time, or it sped up time inside the field. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Sounds familiar because Mark Miller used it in Citizen of the Imperium or Agent of the Imperium. He used a very similar thing in Agent of the Imperium at one point. I digress. So, when the machine itself is turned over to his buddy, right, and his buddy's trying to figure out what's going on, it's he specifically asks, "What do you think would happen if two of these were were like if the fields overlapped?" I mean, he says it; it's right there. In theory, though, I mean, there's there wasn't an actual physical indication that there was two devices. I guess, but the the concept of two devices is not pulled out of his ass. It's there, and you're saying, well, it's a possibility that there's two. What would happen if there was two? When they were trying to figure out how he got away with it. Well, maybe so. It seemed like an ass pull to me. The the. MacGuffin murder device of Patchwork Girl was kind of was kind of clever, you know that that I I, I liked, but even then it was it it was like uh it was like Phantom of the Temple where we had that 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 big jump in logic where all of a sudden he's got it all figured out and there was no inkling as to exactly how he did it. It just kind of like came to him. Um, that one I'll give you as a little bit more subtle on, on what the path of logic to solve the mystery was, but it's, it's all there. And it, it's more along the lines of the, the differences between um, how people have interpersonal sexual relations on the the moon and on earth. Well, see, see, you're talking about the reasons why I'm talking about the how. The reasons why were perfectly fine. Uh, you know, that all worked out fairly well. I'm talking about the how. And you know, it's really it's really, you know, I, without spoiling it. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to spoil it. You know, because because it is a mystery, and you know somebody somebody that's new to it 
you know, doesn't want the mystery spoiled. Uh, even though we spoiled Arm. I spoiled Arm. You did. But even with that spoiled, you know, I don't know. The second story was kind of clever. Uh, you know, but even that was kind of a sudden jump in logic. That was a very soap opera y kind of twist, though. I thought it was definitely it was definitely mellow dramatic. Yeah. And I thought the final story uh was just telegraphed once. Yeah, I didn't really care for that one, but I, like I said, I don't really like uh Niven's writing after, after 1990s. Like yeah. Yeah. That's when he sold out. That's when he made the black album. Yeah. Cliff Burton died. Uber detective. I mean, come on. <laughs> yes, I didn't care his, for the last. His one. rank was actually fucking super detective. Over detective. <laughs> Over detective. Well, still, I yeah, that was. That was I, I think that's a little bit of a nod to the the fact that he knows that that the planet Earth at this point is basically a totalitarian hellhole. Well, yeah, and it seems to me that it's been that way for a while. If you can get thrown into the fucking vats for uh, for jaywalking, and people are voting for this shit. Yes, he has. He definitely has a very cynical um, outlook on on people, on humans, and their behavior. And I can't say I don't disagree with it because I think that if we were given the choice, I think that that's a big possibility that we might vote for that. Ah, yeah, screw Invermectin, or Ivermectin, or whatever the fucking that horse shit is. It's, uh, just get me a pair of lungs off of a off of a jaywalker. Yeah, that'll do it. That's the stuff there. Mmm. Intestinal goodness. (laughs) Oh, boy. I, I don't know. It and truthfully, you know, I, I kind of dig the concept of a locker room mystery, but execution wise, I don't, I don't think I can come up with one author that's really done it well. I mean, Agatha Christie, that was kind of her thing. Um, even to the fact where Doyle did it a couple of times with Holmes. And it, it is that, that kind of, that, that presumed, jump in logic that the detective later you know kind of explains well actually uh you know references some what you would assume would be a throwaway line from three paragraphs ago uh i do kind of find it interesting how how he did connect the stories by referring back to the previous one uh, because uh-huh. some clue or another reminded him of it, right? Or or something was brought up in conversation. Because Gil the Arm does have a bit of a reputation. Yes. And uh, so now, what do you think about uh, Gil's? The other reason they call him the Arm. His his uh his psychic power, his special ability. So. He's not only is he an arm agent, but he also was for a while a belter. 
which mm-hmm. is someone mining the asteroid belts, and um, participated in an accident, which cost him his arm, right, and the li- and the life of his buddy. Uh, There's a lot of the backstory that goes into the first um, story in this collection, Death by Ecstasy. Mm-hmm. And um, he discovers um, after his surgery um, that he has an imaginary arm. Yep, he has phantom limb syndrome to the extreme. Yes, and he can um, he can basically it's a psychic arm that can go inside of objects um, and and feel around tactilely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's not m- much use for anything else. It could maybe lift a shot glass, cigarette. Parlor tricks. Um, yeah, basically parlor. He used it to, to get laid often. Um, scares the shit out of people with it. Yes. Well, it scares the shit out of... It makes people uncomfortable, but it makes... Uh, spoiler alerts really uncomfortable. <laughs> now, you know, when he's when he's using it, you know, when he's, like, in the area is, is one thing. I'm not sure I like the use of it, you know, via sympathetic magic, I guess you would call it. Uh, yes, you're specifically referring to the patchwork girl he uses it to feel inside of objects inside of a hologram map of the surface of the moon right right which he's yes it's not supposed to uh reach further than his actual arm but effectively through doing that not only does it reach further but he makes it huge because i presume you know when he's digging through this hologram you know he's dig- he's not digging through a big puddle of silt with a normal size hand. He's like a kid in a sandbox, you know. Right. You know, and so so it kind of like it counters the limitations he has on it himself, and it's quite possible that the ability itself is that powerful, and the limitation is just like his own. Uh, his own mental block, even though he well, doesn't he, really realize what he's doing is far more powerful than he says he can do. Well, he does say that, um, his, that his ability, like all psychic abilities, uh, is completely dependent on his ability to believe in it. Right. And his belief is like you said, it's, um, it's his imaginary arm, his phantom limb syndrome. Mm-hmm turned into like a psychic arm and that's the limit and in the first three stories that is the limit mm-hmm. well well the, the second, second he story does, he can reach through the TV, the the tri screen or whatever they call it mm-hmm. um video phones yeah he can facetime and, and, a motherfucker and he'd choke him out yes <laughs> more or less he does. Um, he's able to do what all of us have wished to do at one point <laughs> And, and you're right. Maybe like if he's like fooling around in a hologram, he could like he could uh, mind fuck himself enough to think that he's like looking around the actual crater. 
but even then I have just like logistical issues with with just the mechanics of that. Right. So right. yeah, if I they showed was... him a holograph of the moon, would he be able to just like crush the moon? Yeah, I just think it's well, no, because he well maybe he, he if it fit, fit into what he would think of as the size of his hand, right? Yeah. Well, it's also the the density of the moon is a little bit different than the density of other things he has squeezed, right? The life out of so there's that. I mean, there's there's definitely limits. I don't think that that um, the hologram thing was as a, as a plot device was very clever, um, just because it even if it doesn't counter what went on before, it's just uh, it is a jump to go from oh he's feeling inside a dust crater in a hologram. And somehow doing that in the real world is a little bit too much. Right. He leaves that leave that to the master of the five magics. Right. Right. Something something to that effect. But uh yeah, I mean it was it was interesting, um, you know, the the whole tricks of, you know, reach inside the box, tell me what's in there. You know that that's all kind of neat and stuff, and and I can see how that might be useful right. in certain situations. But yeah, well, when it, when it he, came to that particular thing, he um, could do some pretty cool stuff, like professionally with it. He was he uses it to um, determine whether or not uh, organs are transplants mm-hmm. because yeah. he can feel the scarring. Yep, he can feel the scar tissue. He's experienced enough with it that he can tell you up. Uh, approximately how long it's been yeah so it's 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 cool and i will say that the 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 first story death by ecstasy is probably the best of the bunch Uh, i would say i would probably agree with that um because actually that one is a most of these are variations on locker room mysteries Mm -hmm. whereas uh you're you're it's a locker room because the surface of the moon has no air. <laughs> right. Right. Two of right. them actually take place on the moon. He even references it a couple of times because his boss, uh, the main dude in charge of arm is a, like a fanatic for this stuff. Right. Um, but the first one is the only one that's like, well, I guess the first three are locker room mysteries. Yeah, I mean, you had uh, no one went in, no one went out, right? Kind of thing. So he had to figure he had to figure that mystery out. The second one wasn't so much a locked room mystery; uh, it was just one of those kind of mysteries where things are not as they appear. We'll, right. we'll, we'll put it that way. Yeah, um, that I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah, arm was definitely a locked room mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally so, uh, as the elevator was turned off and there was access only to the roof and the roof cameras didn't show anything. So somebody had to have gotten in there because Mm -hmm. he just didn't believe that the only suspect, uh, could have done it. And, you know, it's one of those things where his hunch is against all logic, but somehow it's against the logic of everything, but he, he thought she was, she was, uh, cute. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which does bring me 
to a complaint I do have about almost everything I've ever read by Larry Niven, and that he is definitely a sexist motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Um, he is of that generation of science fiction, uh, like Isaac Asimov, where it's just casual misogyny is um, rampant. And he loves boobs. He does. Does you can tell um, you can tell how important a female character is to the plot by the size of her breasts. <laughs> so that that that's definitely a, a warning I would I would put with with this book and and any book really by Larry Niven um, to the point where there's I had recently reread um, the Ringworld books and that's some really there's some like really bad shit in those. Like, like, I I don't know what's up with these old science fiction writers. If they just never got laid or anything, but all of them are just hung up and maybe it's pandering to their, to their audience. Well, you know, you had to, you had to put something in there to make a cover out of, you know, it goes back to those salacious covers of weird tales, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, like, they, they, you, they have like this. Well, just read Ringworld, um, Ringworld Engineers, and you'll, you'll figure it out. Or don't. <laughs> but what I said about, about uh, importance to the plot and breast size definitely, definitely applies. If a character's yeah. breasts are mentioned, they are important to the plot. Yes. And, and, and for some reason, the, the loonies have, or I guess the, the earthers have like some weird, like androgyny, or not androgyny, um, polygamy and polandry stuff going on because Larry Niven decided it was time to be salacious as all fuck. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, though it's okay, baby. It, I'm taking my does, sterilization pills. Though it does go into it is plot relevant, which is which is the other thing. Yeah, I, I, I would say the patchwork girl is probably the most soap opera y of of them all. Well, I I find that interesting. I mean, there's some days of our lives shit going on in there. Well, Look, I find that interesting because, you know, having studied anthropology, mm-hmm. um, you really don't get a lot of, of mysteries where um, sociological factors are relevant to solving the mystery. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was cool. It's just the, the, the details of it and how he decided to um, present the uh, the 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 uber casual um, sexuality of Earth people a hundred years from now. I mean, definitely, definitely uh, not that uh, puritanical thing the Americans have on. It's definitely uh, a lot different, uh, you know, and and casual and acceptable and. You know, yes, yeah, not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, but it's but almost to the point where it's like overcompensating. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like uh, it's like yeah, I grew up in the '60s. Yeah, 
Definitely, definitely uh, free love sort of situation going on on the moon there. Yeah. Well, the, and and the the loonies themselves uh, were more conservative, a lot more conservative, probably more conservative than America ever has been mm-hmm. like in reality. Well, there aren't many of them. That's true. And at this point in humanity's uh, reach among the stars... Uh, loonies are almost a, a separate species of humanity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he described well. Yeah, he describes them as uh, Tolkien-esque elves. So they're they're tall, lanky, and uh, delicate looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all those all those generations in uh, the moon's gravity, right? But but belters too. Belters are like space dwarves. Space dwarves. Well, because they have gravity on their, you know, on their uh, their bases are spun, so mm-hmm. they have gravity, right? And the the reason that was mentioned was to kind of uh, jumble up who the suspects were, right? In, in that in that particular story, so you, know, you 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 can't have mysteries without multiple su- suspects, right? Right. You you I mean you have to you have to have that. So you have to find ways uh of like making it so like anybody could have done it. Mhm. So it's you true. get a little bit of world building from that. Because prior to that it never really talked about the physical differences structurally between the belters and the humans. You had you definitely had style differences. For example, Belgers wear mohawks. Yep. Um, they go about completely naked unless they're like on, like in on, on the job. Yeah. Um, and where they have like, so they're tans because they're out in like hard, hard radiation sunlight all the time. They're like tanned darker than hell. Except for the rest of their bodies are like whatever their pasty skin tone is. Right, right. It's like it's like <laughs> their head and face area from the bubble helmets is like really dark, but the rest of their bodies are just like pale white. And well, they they love scars. Yeah, which is and one of the live, reasons why they go around nude is to show off their scars. Right, and they live in their they live in their suits. Their suits are basically their houses. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you get some interesting world building going on too. You know, aside from like the Earth is a, a totalitarian hell. Yeah, it's like okay, do would I really would I live on this Earth? Probably not. But I mean, you know, Belter society is kind of cool. But goddamn, is it hard? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the loonies, I you know. Uh, there's, there's probably a, you know, there's probably like a subtle double entendre there of him calling them loonies. I'm sure there is. You know, because the word lunatic, you know, from which we get loony, L-O-O-N-Y. Right. You know, comes from Luna, the moon, and, uh, everybody thinks the loonies are crazy anyway. Yes, it's true. And in a way, aren't they? Uh, they their their culture is definitely unique. <laughs> I will say yeah. that their culture is definitely unique, and they're kind of vegetarians. They're almost like 
they're almost like a cult of sorts. I mean, there's a certain kind of like, you know, he presents humans and all the bullshit that they're into. You know, everybody doesn't really give a shit about anybody else as long as they get uh, raw material to keep themselves going. Right. Um, you know, and then you have the belters who are like, kind of like all about the society, really. There's not much other than the clothes on their backs, you know, that's uh, that's theirs and theirs alone. Right. And we kind of have those as two extreme ends mm-hmm. um, where where the, the earthers are, everything's very regulated and rigid, mm-hmm. um, you know, because there's, I think there was like seven and a half billion people on earth at that time. Uh, no, it's close. I think it's, the number was like 18, seven oh, and a half seven. is like current. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was a shit ton of people there. Um, yeah. Privacy is at a premium. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where they were taking out elevator shafts and buildings or, right. or air air stacks and buildings and just expanding apartments because space. Right. You need that space. You get an inside apartment, got no windows, no, <laughs> no <laughs> nothing. And it's barely a closet that uh, has an inflatable air mattress, an air chair. An air kitchen, yeah. It it, it, uh, it had like it had modules that were programmed into the the walls and floor. So if you needed your dining room set, you popped it up and it formed out of the floor. Right. Yeah. It's it's tiny house adventures. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so you have that extreme where everything is like just regulated. Because we don't want more people, and we and everyone who is currently here wants to stay alive, right? Right. So you have that extreme, and then you have the belters who are the exact opposite, uh, where they don't have organ organ legging laws. Um, they don't care. They're you know if they lose an organ, they're proud of it, and you know if you get a you lose your arm, you you get a prosthetic, and you have a nice story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're definitely more self-sufficient, um, more, you know, they, their privacy is, I guess, because their sense of personal space is so small that their privacy is also like narrower in scope. If that makes any sense. But also over the course of their work. A lot of them spend a lot of time alone anyway. Yeah, like in like single person ships. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and and the thing is, if you had um, organ banks in the belt, all those guys would be fucked because when <laughs> their regard for the law is basically what can I get away with? Right. It's Which like is every belter is a smuggler. <laughs> exactly. Their smuggling um, habits are, can I get away with it? And they, they say, I don't know if it's in this book or if it's in, uh, it might be in Protector, which is a uh, same universe, I think a little bit further ahead in the timeline. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they say, if, if you, you don't trust anybody who has a completely clean record, 
or someone who's been caught too many times. Right. Yeah, because we can't have those sloppy motherfuckers around here anyway. You can't have the sloppy, but the, but the people who are clean probably haven't done anything, right? So yeah, they're you know, green. They're garbage. But like the people who like every once in a while get caught because it's just a fine. You, you smuggle, you get caught, you have to give up whatever you were smuggling. That's a deal. I did I, two bids at Rikers for smuggling right. whiskey back to the asteroid belt. I want that motherfucker on my crew. Right, but you don't do two, two bids at Rikers. You mm. just lose the the profit on the whiskey. Mm. <laughs> right? So Because what you were trying to do is, is you were trying to not pay the uh, import tax when you're taking shit to Earth. Right. <laughs> so when you smuggle it on, you know, you you you're, you're ripping them off, so, and who who cares, right? Right. Screw to you, in. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So and then I think you had the loonies were kind of a a in between. Mm-hmm. Like what would what would the in between be of those two extremes? Somewhere halfway in the middle. Yeah, and I think he did a good job of, of showing that. And though I tend to think they were more like uh, grounded in in eighties Americana than right. Well, I mean, you also have you also have this notion of you know the Earthers have the Flatlanders have no privacy to speak of, right? Right. Uh, and then the other extreme of that is the Belters don't really give a shit about privacy. And, right, because they have all the privacy they want when they're on the job. Right. And the loonies are a miserable pile of secrets. <laughs> a miserable pile of secrets. It's a good way of putting it. But they are. It's like every loony has a secret. Every loony we've met has one secret or another that they're trying to keep because because of their society is the way it is, you know, like what what they like, what they're into, you know, and all that stuff, all of that shit, you know, their relationships and stuff are so fucking rigid and and to a point where they're regulated through social constraints more than law, right? That. Yeah. Pretty much everything they do is clandestine. Right. I'd uh I'd agree with you. So yeah, that's there you go. You have you have uh you have absolutely no privacy, don't give a fuck about privacy, and privacy is gold. Right. So really it's three extremes of a triangle. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. More than a halfway point. I'm just disappointed that they didn't name any of the um, the lunar cities like Rivendell or La Florian. I think that would have been he, too on the nose with the with the Tolkien comparisons. There's definitely he definitely likes to drop references to stuff that he's read mm-hmm. in in these books. Yep, he, de- he definitely likes to 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 like let you know this is where I'm coming from. Yeah, and it's like, yo, this is some Council of Elrond bullshit going on on it. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's cool because like now, uh, because it's all from the point of view of Gil Hamilton, so it's it's not, you know, it's third person, but it's not omniscient, right? 
which you can't have in a in a mystery story anyway, right? Uh, yeah, you can't really have that, or else every single clue would have to be revealed. Right. So you have to have a, a narrator who's present at the events, recounting it, or in the case of something like Judge D, a third party, right? You know, you making have, official you records, hearsay or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so Tolkien in in this. Known, known space token exists, right? right? Right. Has to. Lester Del Rey exists. Mm-hmm. He has a crater named after him. Right. So this this is an Earth that's very much uh, the the descendant of our own. Right. It's thought out as this is, you know, what happens to us in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, known space. Um, and, and you know, Larry Niven's known as a hard science fiction writer, so that makes sense that that would be the case, mm-hmm. right? So he he gives you he grounds the story in the familiar, but also by doing that, he lets you know that I'm going to keep like the the uh, space fantasy, the magical aspects to a minimum, right? Psychic arms excluded. Well, with the exception of the extremely powerful telepath who can connect with somebody. She has to love everyone in the building. Yes. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes. Yeah, so his his psionics in here. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, it, it is almost get your magic out of my science fiction to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really enjoy it in Traveler, um, and I, it, it's it's there. I guess I can't not have it there, but it's kind of like it does to me. The 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 psionics of it kind of take away from the science fiction part of it, right? Right. Which is you know it's hard. It's it's ridiculous to say because we're also talking. Uh, about a world that or a universe that ends up having um you know hyperdrive mm-hmm. so and that's space magic as well right yep ftl is definitely space magic um he didn't get into like a lot of like uh you know grand unified theory and stuff like that cuz a lot of that stuff was later but yeah i mean there's there's a point where your hard science fiction future becomes space magic in that Arthur Clark sort of way. Or was that Asimov? Uh, well, I think that was Clark. Yeah. The- yeah. Because I mean, you, 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 I guess you crouch it in or couch it in, um, in pseudoscientific babble. So it sounds like it's science. Right. A pseudoscientific extrapolation of, of bleeding edge science. Right. So, yes, we have nanotechnology, and nanotechnology can do things in the real world. But in a science fiction story, nanotechnology become like a, a robot swarm. Or your superhero costume fits in your necklace. Right. Stuff like that. I mean, or they, they're in your blood and they heal you, like that. Mm-hmm. 
which uh, there is that aspect of it in there. Although I think I think Niven really tried to keep everything somewhat organic, uh, and and I would I would really kind of like consider this um, biopunk. I guess if if you wanted to give it one of those types of terms, because a lot of it does, uh, you know, there's no like man machine singularity going on like cyberpunk or anything like that. It's mostly a lot of shit that we've taken for granted now, but we've our medical and biological understandings are different. Yeah, I don't know if I would I would put a punk on any of this. Um, like you said, it's too clean. There's really no. Would it piss him off? Out. No, not okay. well. Maybe I don't know. Biopunk, um, it is no. <laughs> no, it, it's you know. I don't think he was trying to write noir. No, um, no, and and really, for the type of story he's telling, um, <laughs> it, it kind of needed that. The with the with the devices he was using to tell some of these stories. You know, with with a lot of organized crime and stuff like that. You know, yeah, but the protagonist of this story, Gil, he's a cop. He's not a PI. You know, he's he's the man. He's a cop. He's definitely like part of the establishment, right? He's right, and like, I guess if you were telling those same stories from from a different point of view, I guess it would be more noir. But yeah, he is the the fancy shining tower downtown. Yeah, he's Joe Friday, right? As opposed to Sam Spade, right? I I, I think I guess I I like Sam Spade better than Joe Friday as an archetype. You know, that's, you know what I mean? That's reasonable. But I, I when I was reading these, I there was nothing like I noir was like the furthest thing from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely more like Nero Wolf or, or you know, that style or Agatha Christie or, or something like that. Right. You know, this is like, this is the man and the man is doing the investigation. And maybe it's because he is the man. I mean, he really is. Arm can do whatever the fuck it wants. Yeah, they pull rank a lot while they're not pulling rank. Yeah, it's like uh, he gets involved in two investigations that uh, he really doesn't even have jurisdiction over. Um, actually, is it only two? Uh, well, it could be a lot of them. I guess when he got into over detective, he was kind of famous at the time, and it was just like, uh, please come in and consult with us, which yes. means we want you to do all the work. That was his Sherlock Holmes moment where he was a consulting detective. Right. And then, I will uh, say for someone who is the man, he does let some people off rather easily. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, discretion. Discretion is supposed to be the most important tool of law enforcement. Unless you're an organ legger, then you're fucked. Then you're fucked. Proper fucked or jaywalker. Or Jay. Well, I don't think he's arresting jaywalkers. That's local cop stuff. Right. That's local cop stuff. But I mean, you know, he's after he's after like organized crime, and you know, he's kind of like a Department of Homeland Security type of guy. You know, he he deals with big cases with 
very little accountability to anyone. It's like he reports to his boss, and his boss is like, how's it going? Ah, oh, yeah, I shook down some guys, killed a few people, and, ah, oh, all right, cool, uh, coffee later? That's uh, one thing about the arms, they don't kill people. Well. they Because they have their, you know, most of the, the people that they're up against, they want to go to trial, so they use, um, they use knockout darts. Right, but, you know, allergic reactions are pretty common. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, it's real. It's it's anesthetic. It's crystallized anesthetic. And there are people who are allergic to anesthetics. That's true. And he fires them like a fucking shotgun. <laughs> a cloud of crystallized anesthetics. Right. It's like, okay, a cloud. Like, and, and, But somehow they always manage to hit right on fucking target. It's like, never does the guy, like, drop. And the cloud goes over. It hits like a taxi driver or something. well there are no taxi drivers because all the cars are on automatic that's right your car is not on automatic within city limits you're going to the organ unless you're a cop and then you can uh drive manually all you want at high speeds sometimes it's hard to tell what what is being like tongue-in-cheek about, you know, these, like, authoritarian states and what is, like, yeah, this is legitimate shit that I predict for the future. No, I think he's um, more common commentary on um, the direction that that the U.S. Is he- was headed at the time. Hmm. Well, there you I have mean, it. I don't... Go ahead. I, I, I just don't think that he would um, want a future... Where you can get um, broken up for parts for jaywalking, I think I, I gotta think that that's um, you know that's commentary. How extreme the law can be. Yes, um, and I also gotta think that he would be the type of guy, or is the type of guy, because he is still with us, who would keep thirty luck points. Absolutely, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>